the words that were said to me that you'll never be loved. You're not lovable. It stuck with me. And so when I was a kid, my my mind had the seed planted of you're not lovable. Okay, so then if I'm not lovable, what does that look like? And so of course, you look in the public sphere and magazines show skinny, fit, beautiful, these strong people. So I developed, and now I can recognize this at this stage of my life. I developed habits to become unlovable, perceiving myself as unlovable. So I physically grew that way. I became somewhat hard on the outside, somewhat um, combative with some people. And yet other people saw me as compassionate. It was amazing as I look back at my life and I even talk to people that I randomly see from my past and they're like, Matt, you have completely changed. I don't even recognize who you are anymore. It is time for another episode of The Cultural Hall and uh, welcoming in Matthew Webster. Thank you for being here, sir. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you. Now, uh, Matthew's episode comes to us uh, by great fortune from our friend Portia. Now, you probably have listened recently and and thought, hey, didn't that other guest that we have in, wasn't that recommended by Portia? Yes, it was. I love her. I love her for sending great guest recommendations. Uh, she just reaches out to me on social media, but you can send me an email, contact at theculturalhall.com. We have all types of conversations around anything in and around the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And here's the deal. Uh, if you uh, are just coming to this for the first time, stay a bit. I would tell you that, you know, it takes maybe a little getting used to. We we talk about any and everything, and I think that you'll really appreciate that that's the approach that we do. But, you know, if you're listening for a minute and you go, well, what is this? Push through. Keep listening. And I promise that you'll either become a lifer or a convert to the cultural hall. Matthew, this is what Portia told me about you uh, as some some fodder maybe for us to be able to talk about. Okay, let's go. Uh, you, you went to a nude beach, she lets me know. So I'm excited to talk to you about that. <laughs> she said that uh, you uh, underwent a, a lot of weight loss. And so I'm interested to sort of talk to you about that. Uh, she says that you are a cool guy, so I'm excited to get to know that, but certainly feeling those vibes as well. Uh, you were married and ended up divorced. We'll probably get into that a little bit. Uh, and then also she lets me know that you are a gay active member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, so I'm excited to talk about that as well. Matthew, in all of those things I queued up, where would you like to go first? Oh, goodness. We can, uh, maybe let's talk about the nude beach first because yes. it ties into everything all right take me to that nude beach not literally we both have to stay here in utah <laughs> but figuratively take me to that nude beach well i'm not gonna lie we would love to be in hawaii right now yes so the the whole reason for the nude beach is kind of random and funny because after my divorce i was married to a man I decided I was going to appreciate myself and learn about God. So how do I learn about God in a nude beach? That makes no sense. Well, I went to Hawaii solo, camping, driving around, sleeping on beaches, showering at the beaches. And uh, one day when I was there, I was saying a prayer and I said, God, this is eight months after my divorce. I said, God, I, uh, I need something to do today. I had no plans. And... A friend texted me 
that was on the island as well and said, let's go dive with sharks. We had planned it. Everything was going to work out. And then it got too windy. And I just want to I just want to throw something in here uh, real quick, because I think that there's a, a there's a certain amount that rings true for people who have been divorced before. And when you're in that first year and someone texts you and says, let's go dive with sharks. And you're like, listen, after I made it through that, I'll do whatever. It doesn't matter. Let's just go. Amen. Seriously. <laughs> and that's what this trip was. This mm-hmm. trip was I'm going to jump out of an airplane. I'm going to do all the crazy things mm-hmm. because why not? Yeah. So there's too much wind. And I'm all of a sudden Googling which beaches to go to. And I have this voice in my head that says, go to Polo Beach. Now, I had not known what Polo Beach was. I look it up. It's about you know 15 minute drive from where I was. Mm-hmm. Drove over to it. It's a nude beach. Now, okay, tell me cool. real quick, which island are you on? Not that I want to know where Polo Beach is, but. <laughs> uh, Oahu. Okay. Okay. So I, I get there. And now I used to be over 450 pounds. And so I used to be extremely uncomfortable in my body and I get there and I'm like, I'm going to just enjoy my time here. I'm going to find a spot where I could just relax, enjoy the waves. There weren't many, there's not very many people there. And so I found a spot where there's actually a log that goes over into the ocean. And I sat on there just with my headphones in listening to music and most random thing happens. Some guy is walking along the beach toward me and then he goes into the water and he was hobbling so it's kind of odd and he makes his way over to me and he leans up against this kind of log that i'm on Mm -hmm. and i have my headphones in and i'm dancing and i'm just enjoying my time and he starts talking to me which i couldn't hear what he was saying Mm -hmm. so i take my headphones out and he's like how are you doing how's your day going and we just started having a conversation and i noticed he had a lot of tattoos so I started asking him about his tattoos and he says to me, you know, I don't really talk about this much, but this cross here is for my relationship with Jesus Christ. Now at this point, I had not gone back to even any religious organization, nonetheless, mm-hmm. the church of Jesus mm-hmm. Christ, Latter-day Saint. But we started talking and he said, he said, are you gay? And I told him, yeah, I am. I am a homosexual man. And he, uh, he, laughed and he's like, yeah, I've never talked to any other gay man about Jesus before. Hmm. And I said, well, that's awesome that right now I randomly got inspired to show up here. You have hobbled your way down to this part of the beach. And he had actually sprained his ankle playing football the day before. Hmm. So to him, it didn't make sense why he would go to the beach. And we had this three hour long conversation about faith and about growing and development and not just kind of pigeonholing ourselves into a category and that moment somewhat shifted my whole perspective on the way God sees me and the way God can use me and use my experiences and my light and it's what ultimately kind of led me back to going to church is just that moment at that beach of hey I had connected with someone who was in pain both physical and emotional pain And he had put a tattoo on his body to represent his relationship with the Savior. Similarly, I did. After my divorce, I got a a lion tattoo, a big lion on my arm. Mm -hmm. And it was fascinating that just that alone, that moment, opened my eyes up to see how much God is aware. And Jesus Christ is aware of who we are, where we need to be, and why we need to be there. 
because to me, going to a nude beach made no sense. <laughs> I would rather be diving in the water with sharks. And yet that wasn't where I was meant to be. I was meant to be in that moment at that time. And it was fascinating to have that three hour long conversation and just really connect with somebody that themselves had a lot of emotional scars they weren't working through because they didn't feel they had the right to talk about Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and right after this is even what caps off the story. My favorite part is after that, I went to a park about 15 minutes on North shore away. And there were two missionaries, uh, elders mm-hmm. sitting at this park. And I walked by them and I said, elders, how are you guys doing today? And they kind of looked at me like, who is this guy? He looks like he's probably homeless. What's this guy want with us? Mm-hmm. And I uh, asked them their names, asked them where they're from. I said, you know, I'm a, I'm a member, which is the first time I had actually said I'm a member of the church for a long time. Mm-hmm. And they asked about my tattoo. And I said, you know, it's funny. I got this tattoo to be symbolic of Christ, just like those, uh, those name tags you wear. And one of the elders said, you probably would reach more people on this island with that tattoo than our name tags do. <laughs> And they didn't know that I had just had this experience at this nude beach, but it was just one of those moments to cap it off and say, he is so aware of us, even in our pain and our struggle and our strife and all the storms of our life. He is so aware of us. All we have to do is follow him Mm -hmm. and he will lead us to the places that don't make sense, but he will give us the experiences that do make sense. Matthew, someone listening to that story could just say, oh, but it was coincidental. You happen to have your, you know, you happen to be at that beach and that guy, maybe, maybe he's told everyone about his tattoo and he just told you he hadn't told anyone. And then, you know, it's North Shore, Oahu. There's, that's where, you know, the Polynesian Cultural Center and BYU Hawaii. And there's, there's tons of, you know, members of the church there. This is all just a big coincidence. How do you know that it's actually God and not a coincidence? How do I know that? Because mm-hmm. of what he, this gentleman shared with me, he's not mm-hmm. a member of my faith. He doesn't have the same beliefs, exact beliefs as I have. He was a member of the military and he grew up in a home, a single family home. He's a black guy from uh, Florida and he had no reason to feel inspired to be at that beach either. Mm-hmm. He had just sprained his ankle. Every moment of that interaction said, there's no coincidence because I wanted to be shark diving. And clearly he didn't want to be at the beach, but something got him to go from the army base to the beach. Something got me to go away from my plans and be there. I don't believe in coincidence. Yeah, I believe that everything has the opportunity to be inspired if we are open to the inspiration. Well, and it's interesting because I think we limit inspiration. If you if you headlined this story as God wanted me to go to a nude beach to renew my faith, I think that there would be some people that kind of go, wait, wait, there's something about that that, you know, I don't know. But that is, in fact, how God was able to speak to you and, and be able to to lead you and t- touch into your life and be able to guide you. So. So how, how do we navigate those things where we put limits on God? How can we stop doing that? It's interesting that you ask it that way, because I had a conversation with a group last night for church. This goes mm-hmm. kind of into where I do now within the church. I facilitate a spiritual and emotional support group. And we focus, obviously, on Come Follow Me lessons mm-hmm. and Jesus Christ. And last night, that was the big question is, 
how am I supposed to read these miracles? We talked about the miracles that Christ performed and apply them to my life. And it's like, well, we need to look at it from the perspective of if we limit God to what we think and to what we know, then we're actually limiting ourselves to what is possible because every single person who was healed by Christ during his ministry, both physically and spiritually, came to him in different ways. Mm-hmm. Some, were ha- some were having to be lifted and put down through a home. Some had to just reach out and touch a garment. Some couldn't see him and were brought to him. And so if we expect to only go to Jesus Christ in one straight line and one way, then we are going to expect failure. Because as Christ even told the Pharisees, the old ways are done. There's no checklist to come to me. The purpose is to come to me. However you get here, whatever storm you're going through, you focus on me and I will be there. I will be there to not just calm the storm. I will be there to show you a way to follow me forward. And so it's a challenge for a lot of people because we do want to limit where we look towards other people's faith to tell us how to come to Christ. Mm -hmm. And we're just limiting what Christ can do for us because there's not a member of the church in my experience who has lived my life. (laughs) There's not a member of any religious organization or any faith or any, you know, spiritual system that has lived my life. But there is one who has experienced everything I have. And so if I am to, even within the church, turn to my bishop and say, hey, give me exact steps to get to Jesus Christ. That bishop, if he's honest, will say, just like mine did, I don't have all the answers. I need you to go and pray. I need you to go and do the things. Because there's no one who can tell you exactly how to resolve your past, what repentance exactly looks like. And if they try to tell you there is, then unfortunately, they're they're doing exactly what Christ told the Pharisees. They're keeping out the people from the temples. They're keeping out the people from the places of worship, from the studies, from the knowledge. And so for me, if I only imagine Christ as what other people tell me he is and how to get there or what my past is, then I'm limited. And I'm only limited to where I have my brain capacity to at that point or what other someone else's brain capacity is. And sometimes we get so stuck on being right mm-hmm. that we don't let Christ be right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even last night, I'll just real quick share this part and then we, we could kind of go forward. But last night we were talking about the story Christ shares a parable casting the seeds right under the ground. Mm-hmm. And some hit, you know, some hit the stone, some hit the thorns, some hit the actual, you know, nourishing ground. And I said, well, who am I? Am I the stone? Am I the thorny ground or am I the nourishment? Do I want to be that ground that produces good fruit? And in reality, that's what we want to be. And that's different for everybody. And so I can't be hardened. I can't be stiff where someone or, or God or an experience is there for me and say, there's nothing to learn here and let that moment of faith potentially die off. Or I can't be the thorny grounds where a moment of faith happens, an experience happens, and I, I love it, and I start to grow, and then the thorns, my past, my sins, people's per- perceptions of me start to just stop my growth. 
I need to be that nourishing ground. And that means getting rid of all of my thoughts that, that are from the past mm-hmm. and not hanging on to those, getting rid of my past addictions, getting rid of past behaviors and patterns, because clearly my way led me to a divorce and complete darkness. <laughs> so I don't want to choose my way. Yeah. Turn it over to God. <laughs> Quick question. Uh, the tattoo being a lion, I don't know that I've ever heard Christ compared to uh, uh, as a lion. So I would love to know the connection in that. Yeah. So you've got the, you know, the lion of Judea and the lamb okay. of God. Right? Okay. And um, I'm actually going to get the word lamb in Hebrew put on that same arm. And it's supposed to be symbolic of both sides of Christ. There's the lamb, the sacrifice, and the lion of Judea that returns to claim what is his kingdom. I love it. And so I just, I find that so fascinating. Just that, that combination of he's everything. He's yeah. the compassion and he's the force. He's the power. Yeah, I would also uh, ask you, and sort of on a lighter note, uh, the experience with the nude beach, it's never what you want it to be. When you go to a nude beach, it is always the people that you're like, man, this is, in in my mind, I had this nude beach going very differently. I just think that that, that is a, it, if God leads you to a nude beach, sure, do it. But otherwise, anything that you expect from that nude beach, know that it's not going to be how your mind envisions it and just find a different beach. I just wanted to make sure that. I, I think that's a fair assessment. I think that's a fair assessment. In fact, when I went there, I intentionally chose like the furthest spot that I thought no one would even come to and see me. Mm -hmm. And so when I got there and I saw this dude walking toward me and going then from the sand into the water, I'm like, why is he even bothering? I'm like way out of the way. I don't want to see anybody else. Yep. My intention was not to be seen by anybody else, you know, but it is what it is. Yeah. Just a little word to the wise, kind of an aside there. Uh, so I want to know, you've mentioned it and it has stuck out to me a couple of times as you've said it, talking about your past. And so you mentioned, uh, and as was mentioned by Porsche as well, that you are a gay gentleman. I would love to know how you, uh, maybe not necessarily came out, but how you, how, how, and when you were like, Oh, this is part of who I am. Yeah. That's something I realized at an early age. You know, I was in elementary school when I first even had the idea that potentially I wasn't feeling the same way as some of the other boys in my school Mm -hmm. toward the girls. Um, I didn't enjoy the teasing as much, like that weird, you know, phase that we all go through, or apparently I didn't go through. Um, And then finally around the age of 12 is when I had a term for what I was experiencing. And when I had the term... I'll tell you, this is one of the worst things about technology is that you can look something up online (laughs) because I had a term and then I can look it up online. And all of a sudden you type in something to a search engine Mm -hmm. that just puts, you know, gay man. And especially back then it was images and terrible, you know, destructive thoughts. And that is, unfortunately, this is why I'm out and I'm very open about being gay is because if we don't talk about this, those are the resources people turn to. Right. And they're unhealthy and they're unwise and they're unproductive. And I know what it did to my life. I know what it did to my self-worth, my self-esteem, my image. Um, I mean, it was just awful. But I knew at a young age that I was perceiving myself as different. Uh And then I got a term for it. And I ended up coming out. It's funny, my coming out story is 
probably you know different than some people expect is that I would always pray to God and I'd say, Hey, I want to come out when my parents are ready, uh-huh. when my family's ready to receive that. So I'm just going to wait for you to tell me when they're ready, mm-hmm. which it did happen. It happened, um, you know, at age 24, I was driving home from work and I got this message from my head. You know, like I always do when I have this type of inspiration, like I did for the nude beach. Um, it was, <laughs> Hey, uh, it's okay to call your parents and tell them you want to talk to them. Yeah. You don't need to tell them what about. Yeah. And they, Man, I got to tell you, my parents are pretty awesome. My dad, as soon as I told him, he got up from the couch. And some people would think he's getting up to be angry. And he uh, he gave me a hug. And he so you, said... So you talked to them on the phone and then linked up with them and said, hey, I'm coming over or something like that? Is that... Yeah, I talked to them on the phone and said, hey, can we set up a time to just cool. come over okay. and talk to you? I'm okay. sure in their head, they're thinking, oh, shoot, he's got some disease. He's going to tell us about some yeah. cancer or whatever. Yeah. And uh, so I tell him. I'm gay and I had it planned out. I had a date that night. So just in case it went bad, I can go on the date and focus something else. Um, Anyway, dad stands up and gives me a big hug. And he says, I love you. And he says, it makes sense why you were wearing some of the stuff you wear. (laughs) And uh, I just, I just chuckled. And my mom had, you know, she broke down and started crying and we had a good conversation. And she said, I'm not upset about who you are. I'm just afraid that people are going to treat you poorly. Oh, and I said to her, mom, I'm the youngest of eight. I've got six older brothers. I have been called everything in the book. I have been beat up. I have, I have been built to handle what anyone says to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, plus, I've got you as my mom, and you're, you're able to defend me if you need to. Mm. Uh, so it was, a, just, it was a coming out story. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of members of the church or just gay people in general don't get to experience. And that's mm-hmm. just beautiful love without condition. And I'm thankful for that because I've relied on that unconditional love over and over and over. I want to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to pick this story up right where we're at. We'll come back and do that in the second block of the cultural hall. Hey, you guys wanted to talk to you about a new voice app on the Amazon Alexa. It's made by the church. That is the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And it's geared for kids and grandkids aged four to 11. It's called the Friend Magazine Skill, and it allows your kids to play the Friend Magazine from an Amazon Alexa smart speaker. Now, here's what's cool about it. Each month, it's going to include new stories and new music from the Friend Magazine. It's, uh, you know, a thing that your kids, they know what it is. In fact, if you said, hey, kids, enable the Friend Magazine Skill, they've already done it before you even ask them. And the best part is it's free. It's built by the church, so there is no advertisements or any content that you need to worry about. And it's a fun, great way to help your kids learn about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's called the Friend Magazine Skill. Be sure to enable it on your Amazon Alexa smart speaker. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. 
Here in the second block of the cultural hall, remember you can become a Patreon saint. Go to patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall, where for as little as $5, you can uh, put your money where your ears are. Show costs money, costs money to put out, costs money to do, and it costs my time, which is worth money for crying out loud. So why don't you support us financially? It's patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. And remember, all the Patreon saints get to be a part of that secret but not sacred Facebook group where we're all hanging out talking about the different tangential things uh, that come up in each of the episodes. I'm certain that we'll have a discussion about nude beaches in that group after this episode. <laughs> uh, now, Matthew, uh, I'm curious. 12 years old, that puts us what year? I just want context for kind of. So I was born in 87. Okay, so, so 99, 99. 99. And uh, so that's sort of the just early, early internets. Yeah. Uh, and you go there and you search. What term? What term did you search? You said you, you had a term for it finally. What What was Yeah, that? I just searched uh, just gay man. Okay, okay. And then it right. brought up all of those things. Now. I, I have to ask because of where uh, the church was at that sort of turn of the millennia and early 21st century, you know, the church is all in on Prop 8 in California in your most formative years, you know, 20, 21, 22, recognizing how you are, how you feel and how, you know, the 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 church feels and how those are not quite the same. How did you navigate that time in your life? You know, it's interesting as I look back on that kind of period of my life, mm -hmm. because I had been um, essentially rejected for serving a mission. And, now, wait, now, wait, um, so you rejected for serving a mission like you tried to serve and they wouldn't let you? Is that what you mean? Yeah. So I put in mission papers okay. and they told me essentially, no, you're just at that point. Again, I was 450 pounds at some point uh, in my life. Okay. Right. Uh -huh. And so <laughs> this was kind of not devastating, but devastating news. Sure. As I'm like, well, I'm battling this. I'm not even battling it. I know I'm gay and I love Jesus Christ and the church I'm trying to serve is telling me no. Right. And so prop eight and what was going on there was probably the least of my concerns. Okay. Um, because to me, it was like, man, I just got to reconcile who I am. And I went through, you know, some, pretty hard times um, emotionally and mentally absolutely nothing to do with prop eight but just navigating the waters of if i'm not and again this goes back to that checklist that we talked about earlier mm -hmm. if i'm not going on this checklist if i haven't done these things how am i supposed to know god and that was a very you know it was a very hard time for a few years where you, know, you get rejected from serving a mission and culturally especially you know this right it and at that time, you didn't want to tell anyone that, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, even going, I have friends who returned home from missions early because of injuries or sickness. And they were embarrassed for returning home. Sure. So to me, Prop 8 was just a matter of, look, this is, this is somewhat humorous to me that we're going to debate whether or not people have the right to just simply be married. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. When in fact we have so many personal, individual issues that Christ can heal and develop, and I was going through a crisis of my own. Mm -hmm. So, I'm I'm actually thankful in a way for that crisis because I didn't get wrapped up into an ideology of either I have to be so strong for the church or I have to be so strong against the church. I was just in a crisis of my own, mm -hmm. and I'm thankful that I was because I know 
that ended up causing a lot of division for families and, and even within the church, it caused a lot of division. So I'm actually grateful for the crisis I was in. Sure. It kept me it, away from all that craziness. Yeah. A little bit of a, of a, of a blessing uh, of ignorance, right? And maybe that's a weird way yeah. of saying that, but just in like, listen, you got some other things. Let's worry about the other things. I wonder how were you able to, um, to kind of push against that feeling that I think is supernatural to be like, fine, God, if you don't want me, I don't want you when, you know, being rejected from a mission. I had a similar, though, not uh, exact experience. I wanted to be a, an EFY counselor, which I recognize as sort of a sub-portion of the church. But I, when I went to do it, I had facial hair, and I think I got discounted completely because <laughs> I had a goatee. And I'm just like, well, wait a minute. I, I'm not defined by, you know, I'm no more defined by my goatee as you're defined by your weight at that time, right? If God loves me and I need a chance to build my faith, why am I not allowed this chance to build my faith? It made me super angry. You know, it, here's, it's hard. You're right. It's hard because I grew up in this church mm -hmm. and I grew up being told, hey, you just have to do these things and then we'll send you on a mission. And then I had people in my direct setting, my life, who some people who were similar weight to me had gotten mission calls mm. and maybe they had a better connection to the church. Their dads, you know, served or worked at BYU as professors, or I knew people who were, you know, having sex before their mission and they still right. served a mission. Sure. And so there was definitely a lot of questions, but I didn't blame God um, because I looked at it as God appoints people to make decisions. And those people sometimes make decisions out of arrogance, out of ignorance. And sometimes they make a decision that's probably best, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean I didn't feel upset. That didn't sure. mean that I wasn't tormented inside somewhat. Um, in fact, you know, I, some of my best friends returned home from missions. My brother, Josh, who's just a year and a half old, not even a year and a half, 15 months older than me, returned home from his mission. And it was hard watching all these people return home when I wasn't able to have that same experience. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of did have a time period um, in 2009 to 2000, roughly 11, where I just stopped going to church, really. Mm -hmm. I disconnected. Um, I, unfortunately, and I, I say this, and I know this is a hard topic to talk about, but I even tried to take my life at one point. Mm. Uh, and it had nothing to do with being gay, which some people think, man, being gay is when a lot of people try to take their lives, trying to reconcile that with God. Mine was just, I don't think I'm going to be able to fit in anywhere. Mm -hmm. And so even that experience, I, you know, I was, I was out cold for three days in an apartment room that no one even knew. Wow. And when I woke up, I was actually mad at God. <laughs> That's when I think I was mad. I was like, I tried to just stop all of this. And you, for some reason, couldn't even want me there. Um, and then, of course, I had a quick, I call it like a reckoning, where mm -hmm. God's like, you're an idiot. <laughs> like, stop being stupid and stubborn. I'm keeping you here and alive. Mm -hmm. And that's when it hit me. I don't think I would have been a successful missionary at that time. Mm. Because I would have been battling internal demons still of identity of Christ. And so my focus probably wouldn't have been serving Jesus Christ, my focus probably would have been trying to figure out my own faith. Yeah. 
And so I'm grateful that I didn't go on a mission. I'm grateful, and it sounds bad maybe for some people, but I'm grateful that I woke up from a suicide attempt and God was like, you're just an idiot. It's okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay to be an idiot because there's a better way. So, and, and again, I went back to church, you know, I went back to church at that point and it was amazing to go back to church and be single in a singles ward. <laughs> people will talk about, um, that they have to reach that sort of, uh, rock bottom moment. And, um, you know, I've heard it from various people, you know, uh, that struggle with addictions that when they didn't have anywhere else to go and found themselves homeless, that that was sort of their rock bottom. Um, people that have struggled uh, either with suicidal ideation or the, or the actual, um, acting on it and finding that when they had made that attempt and were not successful, that that was sort of their rock bottom moment that gave them a different perspective or was able to change everything um, for them. I would imagine, and I don't want to put words into your mouth, that this was your rock bottom moment. To that point, mm-hmm. there's here's the, I think wait, rock bottom is more. fascinating. <laughs> there always is. Yeah, I even talked about this last night with our spiritual emotional support group. It's following Christ doesn't mean that you're not going to experience darkness. Mm-hmm. It just means sometimes you're going to experience darkness so that you can become lighter, so that you can be brighter. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't, I actually, it was a suicide attempt, but I still don't even think that was my my lowest I got. Lowest I got was after my marriage. Okay, let's go there. Yeah. Um, what do you want to ask? <laughs> well, I mean, so so you get married uh and uh it it has the weight loss taken place because i want to make sure and talk about that piece a little bit did the weight take weight loss take place before the marriage or after or give me some context as far as that goes okay so here's here's where it gets interesting right so i went back to church mm-hmm. after the suicide attempt and 2013 march 11th 2013 mm-hmm. i was diagnosed with kidney failure Okay. Uh, a doctor, a doctor made a mistake. I had kidney failure. Oof. I ended up spending 21 months on dialysis. Oh my gosh. Lo- it was a nightmare. God bless my parents' home teacher, which I know is not a term we use anymore, but at the time we had home teachers. Uh-huh. Um, he gave me a kidney. Uh, after 21 months, I was on dialysis. He gave me a transplant and I had already successfully lost weight but with kidney failure and all of a sudden the transplant and being put on medications, I gained all my weight back. Mm. And so my, my kidney doctor said, look, there's only one option for you. And that is let's have a gastric sleeve because that is going to reset everything. And you're going to lose weight. And if you use this as a tool, you will be successful. So uh, 2015, I had a weight loss surgery in October. In December, 2015, that's when I met my now ex-husband. Mm-hmm. And so he met me at a phase where I was still pretty big. Uh, I still had a lot of weight to lose. And so it's bizarre the way our mind works, but I had never felt anyone in my life thought I was attractive. Mm. And so for the first time in my life, I was openly gay. I was dating. I was losing weight. I was healthy. I was what I believed emotionally, mentally stable. I was in school getting a bachelor's degree in sociology, and then I met somebody amazing. And I still think this person that I was married to, though we it ended horribly, has great core, beautiful soul, beautiful spirit. And 
I met this person. They saw me for who I could be. Yeah. And it was like, oh, my goodness. And I was going to church at the time. And so it was kind of a conflict in a way, too, of like, I'm going to church, but I just met this guy who finds me attractive. Mm -hmm. And it's not even based on sexuality. It's not even based on a physical intimacy. We just connected. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that whole journey was fascinating, too. Because meeting him and dating, and then we went to church together. He's not LDS. He's not even from this country. He's from Haiti. Um, we would go to his Baptist church together, and we'd go to our church together, my you know, LDS church together. Mm-hmm. And it was fascinating. It was like, this is good. This is good. I'm combining all of my worlds, and it's making sense. Um, in my head, it was making sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Behind the scenes, there were other things going on that I unfortunately wasn't aware of. Sure. Um, but until a year into our marriage and that, you know, kind of set a poor tone for the you know, next several years of my life. Yeah. How, uh, you know, to hear that you are active in the LDS church at the time and then uh, make the, the selection to be married uh, to another man. Yeah. Uh, you know, there, there are some people who would argue, listen, there's not a place for you in the church or you know, they take their sort of reaction like it's clear by what they say and what they teach that they don't want you, Matthew. Why do you want to be a part of a of a place that doesn't want you? I hear that a lot. What say you to that? You know what? That's a question I still get, right? Mm-hmm. Even though when I was dating and then married, we would go to church, people would ask that. And now that I've gone back, people still ask that. My answer hasn't changed. And that is, I don't necessarily care about this could come across wrong to many people. I don't necessarily care about the structure or the organization. I care about Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And I care about the people at church who just like me need him. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not going to fight and bicker and go over back and forth and have a battle with someone over a specific doctrinal point because I don't know where the doctrinal point was inspired from. Mm-hmm. necessarily. Mm-hmm. And also, as we've seen, there's an evolution to the way our church and not just our church, throughout the history of the world, religion and spirituality takes place. Mm-hmm. And it's all because we have to have an open mind. If I just limit my mind to saying, hey, they don't want you there, then I'm not going to have the cool spiritual experiences and then meet the cool people I've now met in my life. Mm-hmm. And so I look at it from the perspective of I go back to church, uh, especially when I was married and dating, when I would go to church, it was not to be disruptive. Mm -hmm. It was not to cause chaos. It was to connect with my fellow sinners in and for Jesus Christ. Mm. And it had nothing to do with who's right and who's wrong. It had nothing to do with what actions someone should or shouldn't have in their life. It just had to do with the fact that there's probably nowhere in the world than a church building, whether it's LDS church or a Baptist church or you know a Protestant church, that there's a concentration of sinners that are so consciously aware of their sins than church buildings. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. why would I not want to go there? That's where they are. <laughs> why wouldn't I, I want to be with my fellow sinners because that's where they are. And they want to do it in recognition of the Savior. Uh so that's how I view church. That's why it doesn't bother me that I have different life experiences because it shows me so much more about others. If, 
they are willing to, through their trauma, through their crisis, still willing to go to church, then God bless them. Come be with us. How, how do you, so when I hear stories of, um, uh, of, uh, addiction, and I guess for all intents and purposes, there was some, some element of food addiction. Let me not yeah. place that on you, but I, I would imagine that, you know, soothing with food and, and taking it that way. And then also the loneliness and disparity around, um, your attempt at suicide. How have you learned to love yourself? That's a cool question. Um, uh, it's evolved a lot. Because so here's another part of the story, right? Is when I was seven, eight, nine years old, I was being sexually abused. Mm-hmm. Um, not by someone in my family. It was by a friend's father and two teenage boys. And the words that were said to me, that you'll never be loved. You're not mm-hmm. lovable. Um, it stuck with me. And so when I was a kid, my my mind had the seed planted of you're not lovable. Okay, so then if I'm not lovable, what does that look like? Mm-hmm. And so, of course, you look in the public sphere and magazines show skinny, fit, beautiful, these strong people. So I developed, and now I can recognize this at this stage of my life, I developed habits to become unlovable, mm-hmm. perceiving myself as unlovable. So I physically grew that way. Um, I became somewhat hard on the outside, somewhat um, combative with some people. And yet other people saw me as compassionate. It was amazing as I look back at my life and I even talk to people that I randomly see from my past and they're like, Matt, you have completely changed. I didn't recognize who you are anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't even know that sexual you know, abuse part. And so the evolution of self-love for me it took place after my divorce because I thought self-love when I had my weight loss surgery after kidney failure was, man, I love my body now. Mm-hmm. Look at me. I'm, I'm fit. I look great. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm married. We look good together, right? Mm-hmm. That's what mm-hmm. self-love was to me during that phase. And I ignored, again, this goes back to toxic marriage. I ignored a lot of things that were going on in my own marriage because I loved myself. Yeah. And then when I got my divorce, that was my lowest point. That was the darkest and the lowest I'd ever been. And I, I questioned myself. I was like, Matt, you've lost weight. You met somebody you loved. You sacrificed for that person. We traveled the country together playing pickleball professionally. I helped wow. him you know, launch his pickleball career professionally. And we were, we were kind of well-known together, right? And I sat there in that moment, and I just realized, I never loved myself. I never loved me. My envision, what I envisioned love to be was always external. It was always validating from the outside. Um, And so I never loved myself. And then all of a sudden going through that divorce, that's why I got the tattoo. That's why I jumped out of an airplane. That's why I was willing to try everything Mm -hmm. because I didn't care what it was to find out what it felt like to feel good for myself. Yeah, I was going to do it as long as it was healthy, positive, and productive. So I got rid of drinking alcohol. I got rid of hanging around people who were toxic, who only had disparaging things to say about others, Mm -hmm. who were constantly rumoring. And I realized like self-love has nothing to do with validation from anyone else. It comes and it stays from within. 
And it's just a powerful force once you have it, because there's no one, even now as people question me going back to church, people question me in my decisions, in my career, in what I'm working on on my side projects, people question me all the time. And I just think, cool. I don't, that doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. I love exactly where I'm at and what I'm doing and who is guiding me to be there. And so self-love is ultimately, to me, is doing what's healthy, positive, and productive in alignment with God. And all of those other times in my life where I thought I was experiencing self-love, none of that was really actual self-love. It was relying on something external to make me feel good. And nothing ever did it. Nothing ever did it. Powerful words. Let's take a break. We'll come back in the third block of the cultural hall. BestDJinUtah.com. It's been a while since we've had a new one of these, and I apologize for that. It's because I've been so busy DJing events all over the country, uh, but especially here in Utah. Been able to do some great, uh, you know, weddings. I've done a a prom or two for different listeners of the Cultural Hall. I love it when you uh, reach out to me at BestDJinUtah.com, or uh, you can find the phone number online as well. I would love it if you say, hey, I heard about you on the Cultural Hall. Because maybe, just maybe, I give a cultural hall discount. Uh, All sorts of events. It doesn't have to be a a wedding. It could be a community event. Maybe it's a ward or youth activity. I'm doing one of those this summer. In fact, just lock the deal down on that. Uh, Whatever it may be, if you need music to accompany your event or you just need a great MC, I would love to be able to help you out. You're simply going to need to go to bestdjinutah.com. Hi, friends. Dan the Laptop Man here from PC Laptops. I get a lot of emails with feedback from customers. Here's one. Dear Dan, I just had the best experience ever. I bought a computer from Shane at your State Street store. I asked several what I thought were really stupid questions. Shane was super courteous and made me feel comfortable through the whole process. People need to understand how important it is to support a local company, especially when your experience is so good. PC Laptops really does love me. Signed, Satisfied. I love hearing feedback like that. It really just gives me the chills. It's the whole reason why I got into the computer business in the first place. You can get a brand new PC Laptops desktop and they start at only $29 a month. And it comes with a lifetime warranty. That means if anything goes wrong, we're going to take care of you. Just check us out at PCLaptops.com. That's PCLaptops.com. At PC Laptops, we really do love you. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, make your listening of the Cultural Hall active, whether that means you're making a review, uh, wherever you can review this show, uh, you're telling someone or multiple someones about it, uh, whether it be this episode or another. Don't just listen and keep it to yourself, you selfish jerk. Share it with somebody else for crying out loud. And you can always, uh, you know, just share a link on social media if you want to do it that way. Maybe you don't know who this episode could particularly touch and you can headline it as God told me to go to a nude beach. That is clickbait. If ever there was share the show, help grow the audience, Matthew. Oh, that's good. Uh, Let me, (laughs) let me ask you, you've sort of hinted at this a couple of times. Is it a class that's on uh, online on the side? What is this um, spiritual enlightenment come follow me what is this thing that you're talking about so this is a war my my singles word right i'm i'm over 30 and and hopefully i don't look like it no you don't i wouldn't have said a day over 22 great perfect i'm also a liar most of the time i just want you to (laughs) (laughs) oh man no so this is a group that is uh, for my ward 
Mm-hmm. And I think we actually have some fellow, uh, you know, brothers and sisters from other areas come occasionally. Mm-hmm. And it's honestly I, just people who are struggling with different things. And when I got that calling, uh, it was because the bishop at the time, he found out I was getting my master's in psychology. And so okay. he was like, I think I have a great calling for you. And uh, I loved it. Honestly, it's a group of, like I say, people who are struggling to understand the gospel to understand their life, to overcome addiction, to kind of connect and socially develop relationships. So it's a beautiful group. I actually hope and pray that there's more of these groups out there because I know what it's done for me and I know what it does for others. So to clarify, it's not an addiction recovery program that the church has done. This is just like a, like a, what, a weekly study group with members of your ward? Is that? Yeah, kind of, kind of. And, um, Sometimes we're not even actually getting into come follow me. We're okay. just, we have to have some conversations that uh, maybe it starts with a come follow me question. Sure. And then it turns into a, hey, actually, there's someone going through something. So let's have a conversation about that. And, and is know? it anything, p- people sort of self qualify themselves to be able to attend this thing, open invitation, that kind of thing? Yeah, open invitation. Um, you know, there's definitely some people I'm sure the bishop has specifically said, hey, here's a group that you mm-hmm. might want to go to. Just check it out um, Thursday nights. Yeah. And it's it's beautiful because we do get a variety of people who are either coming back to the church, who've been active their whole life, um, some who maybe not are struggling completely, and some who were at that, that like we say, that lowest point, that darkness. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love the fact that I can be there and just be connected to such beautiful people. Can I ask you a sort of snarky question? Of course. Don't you think this is what church should be when we go on Sunday, that it should be this thing where people who have questions and are struggling and feel comfortable and find community? Like, isn't that maybe what we're missing a little bit in just our regular worship service? A hundred percent agree. Yeah. I mean, it's it is it's what we're missing. We're missing the the reason, right? We're missing the real reason why we're there, and that is to be healed. Yeah. Um, so that's I'm glad that this ward specifically has that group. I would love it if it was like, hey, Sundays, let's be honest, let's be open. We're all struggling, and I got to yeah. say, my ward, Richie, my ward is pretty awesome. We have people who are very vulnerable and honest from the pulpit when they give talks. Mm-hmm. I've got uh, you know my old bishop and this new one. Um, man, they are so willing to have conversations that are awkward, and they're so willing to say, especially I'm in the you know single adult phase. So clearly, everyone at this point either has gone through divorce mm-hmm. and knows the disappointments, never been married, seeking that out, lost a spouse mm-hmm. to either you know to suicide, to natural death, whatever it is. So this is a group of people that is definitely relying on the uh, the atonement of Christ. And so we are willing to have sometimes uncomfortable and awkward conversations, which I know doesn't happen maybe in traditional LDS meetings on Sundays because you got families that are, let's not offend people. Um, my opinion is let's offend people. Yeah. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> And I think it's important to note that, uh, you know, you're not offending for offensive sake. I think that no. you, 
the, 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 when we engage in these conversations, I think that there's two parts and I, and I, and I tend to think that it is the second part is where we get tripped up. We all often are encouraged to, to be vulnerable. Right. And oftentimes that comes with, you know, sharing things like when I was divorced, I failed like a failure, like I had not done, you know, God led me towards this thing or whatever the thing may be. That's my own personal experience. Uh, you know, I, I felt some element of that. So I think that there's that. And then I think the second piece or the other side of that is that we have to be willing to admit that this conversation may, may be awkward. And by that, I mean, your response to me, my vulnerability could be well, why didn't you just get over it? You didn't need her anyway. Your life is better without her or whatever, right? And and be able to go, oh, hey, let's have a conversation about how how I have interpreted your your response to what I just shared. And and let's let's talk around that. And I think we do or are doing a better job about the first part, which is being able to be authentic, being able to be vulnerable and share ourselves. But we really got a long way to work with. Yeah, okay. That's how you felt, and 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 I had a bad reaction to that initially. But I want to be better. I'd like to listen. I'd like to learn more, instead of being then offended and pushing ourselves right back out. Yeah, and you know what's cool is Rich. My other calling with church mm -hmm. is elders quorum instructor, and that's a space where when I got the calling, I told the bishop at the time, "Look, I am not going to be traditional. Mm -hmm. I am going to admit right now in your office when we're having this conversation and." The elders quorum president talks to me. I said, look, I don't know everything. I don't know the doctrine completely. Mm -hmm. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get the lesson and I'm going to ask a lot of questions and I'm going to draw out a lot of pain and we're going to have conversations that are uncomfortable. And that's where elders quorum is going to be. And uh, it was funny, the elders quorum president at the time and the bishop agreed. It was like, cool, that's what we need. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's what we need. And I have had people tell me, you know, I gave a talk in church last November. I thought it was a good talk overall, a lot of good mm -hmm. feedback. But I had one gentleman come up to me. He's in my elders' corner. He said, man, your talk was offensive. I was so offended by several things you said. And my response to him was, well, isn't that great? You can be offended by my life. You can choose to be offended by my life. And yet I could be offended by what you just told me right here. Mm -hmm. But I was so vulnerable. I shared things and you're offended. I said, but I'm not going to be offended because I think it's great that we can have this conversation. Hmm. And now I, I talk to that guy pretty regularly. And so I think the more, the more people are willing, I'm willing to step up and be a target sometimes of someone to say, I'm offended by you. You shouldn't have done that. Mm -hmm. Because you know what? Again, I love myself well enough and I know my savior well enough to know that if someone tells me I'm wrong, well, if I've, if I've gone to the Lord and I've given my sincere heart over, then that's going to be their feeling. It's not his feeling. Yeah. Because that same talk, I had another guy come up to me and he said, um, he, he sat at the very back row with his girlfriend. And he said, man, I got to tell you, I have never really talked to a gay person in my life. Hmm. I grew up in the Midwest and I grew up where we weren't talking about you. We weren't talking to you. You just didn't exist. And he said, and I was in tears. I get a little emotional, but he said, I was in tears during your talk. And he said, and I've never felt so small in my life. Hmm. And so I think we have to risk being offensive and vulnerable and honest. And it's not easy. I will tell you, Richie, there are so many people in my life who, when I share things, they're like, man, that, that I wouldn't share that. 
<laughs> and I think, I, you're right. You probably wouldn't. Mm-hmm. And I understand because there were times in my life where I wouldn't share things. I didn't share with my family what was going on in my marriage, right? Mm-hmm. There's things that we're embarrassed of, we're ashamed of, we have guilt over that we're unwilling to share because we are afraid of judgment from others. I don't, I, know, I don't know if you, well, I was swearing on the show, but I was going to say, I don't give a damn about judgment of others. You can say damn right? all you want. I'd say it. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I just don't. Uh-huh. I don't care if someone else has the reason to judge me because ultimately I know who died for me Yeah, and I know where my judgment comes from. And so if someone wants to judge me for my past or my vulnerability or tell me they're offended, by all means do it. But I don't pass judgment on them because I have learned that God sees me exactly who I am and he sees who I can become. And Christ has laid out that foundation in that way. So I don't mind being vulnerable and honest and saying really uncomfortable things in spaces where people are like, maybe this is a little too sacred of a space to say that. And I think that's what Christ did. I think he went into the temples and he flat out, you know, he flipped tables. Mm -hmm. He challenged people. He told the Pharisees when they questioned him on taxes, he said, why don't you pull out a coin and show me what you're talking about? And then they had to break their own law and show a symbol from man, a gold coin in the temple. And they, Christ was saying, look, you're hypocrites. And I think that's okay to do. I think it's okay for me to be vulnerable and say really uncomfortable things sometimes at church because the people who need it, which is all of us, the sinners, um, they connect with Christ. They really do. Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting as you were saying that, kind of walking that out a little bit, uh, you know, Christ was able to do, say, and be how he was because he knew who he was. And I think that thing, I think that that can be extended when we know who we really are. We can act, say, be, and do the things that we know we need to. And I think that that's a, a real powerful place to come from. We have. Yeah. yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, Matthew, we have three questions we ask everyone who steps into the culture hall, and the time has come for me to ask those of you. The first one you've sort of answered, but because I want the official title of the calling, uh, do you have a calling? And if so, now, what is it? So I've got two callings. So Elders Quorum kind of instructor, and then I've got a, you know emotional spiritual support group facilitator. Okay. If you could pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? Oh, goodness. Um, would it be a, it would be a good calling to just go around and, uh, to every single temple in the world and take photos. Yeah. (laughs) Is that a calling? I'll do it. Uh, there, I think there's a gentleman, I'm not sure if he's done it now with the, you know, president Nelson and the 300 temples, but, uh, a gentleman that we interviewed in an episode in the past, his name was Scott Jarvie, who he had at least done uh, all of the ones in the United States at the time and and maybe overseas. But yeah, I love that mission call. Travel the world, see the temples. Yeah. Uh, the last question we ask everyone, we ask you to interpret it however you would like, but the question remains, what is your favorite part of your faith? Oh, my favorite part of my faith um, is letting it grow, is knowing that faith is, is, uh, always going to expand. And so that's my favorite part yeah. is that I don't know everything. And quite frankly, I probably only know 0.001% of everything. And so my favorite part of faith is the expansion. Yeah. 
Uh, well, Matthew, I hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you will be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, Chris at Alpine Lakes Travel, Rick McGee, Debbie Wanless, and Chocolate Cake Bites Podcast, we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat. On the back row, we really gotta go on the Cultural Hall show.